Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Climb Chronicles. Today we are joined by Dinal Patel, the COO of Swisscell and co-founder of NWAQ. Founded in 2014, Swisscell is a London-based distribution company that introduces and represents premium brands into the luxury UK retail market. NW8 is a family-owned pharmacy and distribution business with over 40 years of history. With both brands having specific focus on the beauty, wellness and dental sectors, their clients include Harrods, Selfridges and Whole Foods. Tune in to hear how Dinal and his team established themselves in the highly competitive cosmetics industry whilst maintaining a loyal customer base. Everything well, how are you? How do I turn up? I think there's a, or it's a start with you, there you go. How are yeah. you doing? Everything well? Yeah, 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 everything's good. How is Scotland? It was really good, thank you. It was a bit of, I went to, um, I had like literally, so I had one hour long meeting on um, on Saturday and then the rest of the time was just, I, two of my friends came. Um, it was fun. It was nice. It was actually nice. The Airbnb was really, really nice that we stayed in. Yeah. Realised how cheap everything is there compared to London. It was nice. It was actually the first time I've been like quote unquote away uh, yeah. since like August last year. So it was good. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, a lot of people are kind of having a whole, oh, why? What's the point of going on holiday if it's a staycation? Um, but it is what but You it know, is. if I'm being honest, I get it actually, if I'm being completely <laughs> yeah. honest, because, because it's such a headache to get bookings and then you have to like book in slots and the airport thing is a nightmare as well. But it's like, yeah. um, you know, one of those things. I get that and it's the whole yeah the quarantine and to be honest if you're spending that much money and I think London staycations are so expensive like you might as well leave just wait a little longer and go when you have time but but yeah so um where are you planning to honestly like I have I've got a lot of work to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like I don't want to take a break because I don't feel like I've done anything yet so it's one of those ones where I don't know if that's toxic, but I just prefer. No, it's sensible. It's I prefer sensible. that, yeah, because I don't feel like relaxed enough to take a holiday. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, shall we? Shall we just jump to the actual? Of course. Podcast? So uh, just to begin with, there as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about NWA and the kind of industry that you're in at the moment uh so nwa is our nw beauty is the name of our website so it's an e-commerce store uh uk. we launched it uh, at the beginning of 2021 uh it's basically a fmcg uh, retail store for everything that you would find in a space in k or a harrods or a selfridges but the point of difference is that there's a couple of things is that we started a distribution company for fmcg products in 2016 2015 2016 um, where we had uh, the exclusive rights, where we got the exclusive rights to a number of really niche um, family-owned brands from around the world. So NWA is the exclusive e-seller for these niche beauty brands from around the world. So we have a, a very well-known now anti-aging product from um, Switzerland, which is uh, which is which for which NWA is the only e-commerce seller in the UK. We have a premium dental care line that's well-known in the US 
for which NWA is the only e-commerce seller in the UK also. And there's a number, there's 10 other brands that follow that same pattern. So NWA Beauty is basically a, um, it's a little bit of a response to the pandemic, but it falls out of, out of our larger Swiss or UK distribution business. But NWA in, in one word synopsis is an e-commerce platform uh, with mission statement of bringing the high street to uh, your screen. Um, and it's an e-commerce business that we started um, using our existing infrastructure in 2020 to 2021 as a response to the pandemic. And it's iterating as we go. Amazing. That sounds really cool. And we haven't really had anyone from the cosmetics industry on the podcast yet. So just for our listeners, what exactly are FMCG products, if I'm saying that correctly, and what does the FMCG actually stand for? So I could maybe say that the term FMCG is aspirational because FMCG stands for fast moving consumer goods. Okay. And, um, you know, it's uh, these are actually, if I'm being completely honest, the goods that we sell, um, the goods that we sell on NW Beauty, many of them do fall under that category, FMCG. Mm. But the goods that we started our macro business with, which were which was high end, uh, high end, premium priced, expensive, really um, goods in wellness, beauty, dental care, bath and body, uh, mm. those brands that we brought um, internationally into the UK. Maybe I wouldn't describe them as FMCG, but the reason I say that they're I I say FMCG is because. Uh, I have a little bit of FOMO for not having corporate <laughs> experience and people in the corporate, the employees that I've had that have worked for PwC or KPMG always use that term. So I've just kind of adopted it. And yeah, then the okay. second thing is as someone that wants to sell as many goods as I possibly can, I'd like to call them fast moving consumer goods as opposed to slow moving consumer goods. So I've just kind of taken the acronym and made it my own, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does make sense. I think it's it stands just... for fast moving consumer goods. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that, especially the whole FOMO aspect of it. And um, tell me a little bit more about, say, the actual online e-commerce store itself. So you said that you've got some, you're, you're basically the only seller of goods of, say, niche uh, brands from, say, Switzerland or like niche products even from Switzerland. So is it a mixture of both, um, say, having the exclusivity on your platform as well as wider products that are available, say, in the average stores such as space nk or selfridges that kind of thing and and why did you decide to to adopt both that say methodology rather than just focusing solely on exclusivity if that makes sense yeah sure so the um our business our core business is importing these luxury um, lines in the beauty wellness quote-unquote fmcg space from around the world and bringing them into the uk market right so our key the, our key competency that we've built over the last few years is our relationships with the stores and the B2B customers in the UK. So we have outstanding relationships with premium doors, we call them, which are the points of sale that we would sell these products through like Waitrose and Whole Foods and Harrods and Selfridges and mm-hmm. a Liberty's department store and Fennec department store and Space and K in the past. And even the e-sellers like Cult Beauty look fantastic, um, uh, feel unique, for example. Uh, we had an e-commerce store and we still have an e-commerce store for our B2B products, that the ones that we distribute. Um, but uh, as everyone knows, in 2020, uh, the beginning of the pandemic, uh, most of those stores were closed for a very long period of time. So we were in a situation like many people that 
80% of our business was suddenly gone. And uh, there wasn't really an event. It wasn't clear in terms of on the horizon as to what uh, would be the uh, what would be the this what would be the turning point as to get back to normal operating procedures, right? Where the stores would open, we'd beginning selling our goods to, um, we'd be selling our goods to our our loyal customer base, our loyal B two B customer base. So we built decided to um, not pivot our model, but to build a side business during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and that grew into NWBT. So NWBT basically, in terms of revenue now, is about. I'd say 20% of our distribution brands, the one that we sell to stores, the one that we built our initial wholesale business on. Um, But 80% is um, from a wider assortment of goods that, for example, unlike our distribution goods, we don't have the exclusivity on. So brands that you will know from your, from maybe from your own shopping habits or people will know, uh, brands like CeraVe, L'Oreal, La Roche-Posay, makeup brands like Mavala, a wide range of assortment of brands that you'd find, for example, in a car beauty or a look fantastic. And the reason we were able to get those brands on very quickly is that we had inbuilt relationships in the industry to be able to procure these brands at very good prices. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that we, from our, uh, again, it's it's kind of, a, I, I hope I'm not uh, uh, creating any confusion, but from the B2C aspect of our B2B business, so we had an e-commerce store, as I mentioned before, um, from our wholesale business, which is really uh, the core of the business that we started in 2015. Are you following me, by the way? Um, or yeah, are, yeah, are yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah, you it makes are. Sense. <laughs> okay, perfect. So from that, um, from that five-year run, we had a very big list of very loyal B2C clients. And those were the ones that were still purchasing um, during the pandemic directly from our website. And we had uh, record sales, obviously, uh, during the pandemic because there was no other option for them to buy from there. And we were just thinking, like, how can we add value to our loyal customer base? So uh, if we, I think we had 2,000, 3,000 um, loyal customers that would buy on our B2C wholesale store. Mm-hmm. Um, and the objective was basically to give them more value for what they purchased. So they were loyal to the brands that we had imported into the UK and built exclusive distribution rights around. Um, and we built this website to basically offer them more. So in the same way that they started purchasing um, Sal Cosmet or Theoden, Perlia, these distribution brands that we had, they could start buying other things as well through that same, um, through that same conduit. So um, it's a value add to our customers. Yeah. Um, to our existing customers. And also it definitely was a response to the pandemic as well. When the the core of our business, the core B2B wholesale component of our business was basically, uh, as everyone knows, completely shut down and unable to operate. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess in essence, then the USP is not necessarily the price point, but it's more necessarily say the accessibility of all of these brands under one umbrella, rather than say having to go to different online stores and trying to find your products which aren't all from the same brand but maybe all in one place is that correct so the differentiation for our distribution brands is that we have exclusivity so we have a monopoly over their supply right in in yeah. our in our restrict our, our jurisdiction yeah um, for the other goods um for the other goods that are displayed on the nwa website um it's it, our our point of difference is our customer list, right? So we've developed such a good equity and relationship with our ongoing B two C customers 
um, that it's a value adding to them because we've created our own relationship with them, which means that even though obviously Google searches are one step step away always, that mm -hmm. they still continue. And we've been lucky that they do um, seem to come back to our new um, site. Of course, yeah, and it's always that customer relationship that I think makes you stand out against, say, competitors from Google and that kind of thing, especially in the beauty space as well, because there's always, you know, the cosmetics, the global cosmetics market is rapidly growing and you just don't know what new brand will pop up in the next few months, say, and just really take the world by storm. So it's a bit of an interesting one there. And in terms of you launching a business in the cosmetics industry or in the wholesale industry is this something that you've had experience in before or is it something that you've grown to have an interest in you know this has really been my um, first project really in the world of like work almost because i was a uh, i was a student at uh, university and i was i thought i was going to go down finance route yeah, uh, I did all my work experience and that I'd studied, I majored in economics at university. And then this opportunity to start this business came up in the last year mm -hmm. of my undergraduate degree. And um, the reason for that is because we had um, a kind of a, a family member of mine slash a friend of mine had a relationship with one of these brands who was looking to bring the brand into the UK. And um, we just started building the company with that one distribution contract. And we just added brands over the time and we added relationships and we pivoted where we could and figured out as situations arose. So there was never really an aspiration to start a business in the cosmetic industry. It was more an aspiration to be self-employed and to be um, and to have a business, right? To be, to be self-employed, to be an entrepreneur, and that's really been the story so it's not it was never a situation that i can i can tell you judge on very honestly in terms of cosmetics i had no understand in terms mm -hmm. of cosmetics beauty i really had no clue about the whole space before um, and i can tell you a perfect example of this is that so with this the first cosmeceutical brand that we had this this brand that we acquired in 2014-15 the distribution rights for um the first shipment that we got from Switzerland, they're based in Geneva, mm -hmm. uh, the stock came to my garage and they have the the creams, the day and night creams. I didn't know at that time, but they had, a, they have to this day, I think about 15, 15 varieties of day and night creams. This is all they all come in the same. Sorry, sorry, say again. Yeah, this is all under one brand. They have 15 variations there. The entire SKU range, so SKU means um, um, individual units, so individual type of product, is about uh, now 70 products from this brand. Uh, but just day and night creams um, are, is, is about 15 SKUs. And the reason I say that is because the day and night creams all have the same, um, same packaging. So the mm -hmm. only difference between the different variations of 15 of these 15 different types of products is that on the lettering on the side of the product is slightly different. So it'll be concentrated or preventative or juvenile. Um, and my mistake was to think that all of these products that on the exterior, which had similar packaging were the same product. So I was stacking them on our new shelves that we built in our office mm -hmm. um, uh, as though they were the same product, right? Yeah. Little did I know two weeks afterwards, that when I, we started to get um, online orders through our newly built website, um, that 
that these were actually different products. So that yeah. shows you how naive I was to the industry. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's, that's like it, a. It was probably just a simple like wash and go and maybe some cream. Um, yeah, if that. Think about if it that. Much. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think it's, it's good to hear that, you know, there's, there's a lot more education around skincare in general. And I mean, there's always new science like coming out there, especially when it comes to say prebiotics, probiotics being used, not just for your gut health, but also your skin health as well. Uh, so it's quite cool to see, uh, you know, the variety out there. And it's great to hear how you are catering for that as well. So, um, and, and how you've got into this. So was there already a team established or were you the person in charge of expanding your team? And if so, what does it currently look like at the moment? So initially it was just myself and, and uh, as I told you, my cousin who introduced me to, the con to yeah. my cousin, um, who basically we started the company with. Um, yeah. My cousin has left since that time. Uh, we started with, our first hire was my, um, we had an account manager. So an account manager, uh, the title was an account manager, but really she was a business development manager. And her role was basically to open up uh, new business to business relationships for the for this first brand that we brought in. And her role previous to that was she was a, um, a beauty therapist for a brand with a similar profile to mm -hmm. the one that we brought in. And when I say similar profile, I mean, as you said, similar technology in terms of um, the way it worked. So mm -hmm. she had an understanding of the technical knowledge about the beauty product, which I obviously didn't, as, as I clearly told you with my story. Mm -hmm. um, and then soon after that, we had, uh, sorry, her background was a, she was a beauty therapist. Yeah. The brand she used to work for was La Prairie. I don't know if you've heard of La Prairie. I, yes, I have heard of it. It's a very great luxury brand out there. Yes, and she had, um, and this brand that we work with now has a similar um, price point and profile to that one. A similar, it's also from Switzerland. Um, and then we had a office and logistics manager. He was an office and logistics manager then, actually. He was a, um, he basically was the person that did our pick and packing. Um, and so we started delegating things as, as we went on. So I was doing everything at the beginning. And then as time went on, um, I started delegating the roles to people and hiring for those purposes. So today the team is, uh, we have three account managers. Mm -hmm. So um, the way we divide it is a, uh, we have one uh, business development manager that we call like a hunter. So yeah. their job is basically to open new business to business relationships. Uh, we have a, a developer. So, so the person who's responsible for looking after the relationships on a day-to-day -day basis uh, making sure they're getting their orders, um, uh, their inventory flow, things like this. And we have a trainer whose responsibility is to train the accounts. Because as I mentioned to you, with 10 different product ranges under our portfolio, there's a lot of education that's required. And in retail, in retail sales, um, a big component of the business is making sure that the staff in the point of sale that you're selling to really understand the product so that they have the tools to sell. Um, that's our sales team, if you like, our sales and marketing team, I guess, sales and marketing team. Yeah. In terms of marketing materials, we leverage a lot of the resources and assets that the distribution brands give us. Our logistics team, we have uh, another three uh, boys in the warehouse. So we have a small warehouse office space in Southwest London. Mm -hmm. um, one of those was the, the first eye and he's really, 
he does he's much more than the sum of his parts and he does many things for the business now um and then we have a it team so uh, there are one a couple of people are based here a couple of paid people are based abroad uh, they do all the back-end development for our websites um i feel you know it's it's funny because i when you ask me about NWA Beauty, that's the project they're working on now. But people have been hired for different projects and it's kind of a team that works on multiple projects now, if that makes sense. So yeah. we have an IT development team that works on the optimization of our websites that deals with our marketplace business. So we started expanding into a marketplace business where we sell through third-party wholesalers like Amazon is the most well-known one. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, we have a, there. it's like you might know about amazon <laughs> like, yeah yeah it's a little well-known name on it i love that but yeah sorry go and carry on yeah so um so uh, we have a team like a couple of people that deal with that because there's a lot of administrative work that goes into that yeah. uh, we have pick and pack stuff at the warehouse um so basically the the model today is we sell freefall. We sell to the business to business customers, and there's a team that deals with that. We sell direct to consumer through our website, through NWBT, which is obviously the topic of this podcast. And we sell through marketplaces. And we have our team is split into three functions. So there's sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, sales really is the is the core component of that team. Marketing can be has been offloaded in the past to a PR company. Um, we have uh, we leverage the marketing assets of the brands that we work with. Uh, and then obviously we have digital marketing as well. Then we have our office and logistics team, which is to do with the day-to-day management of the office, um, accounts, um, things like this, um, inventory flow, warehouse management. And then we have our digital team uh, who deal with everything from the management of our websites, um, our inventory uh, flow on our CRM system, stock system as well. Um, and all the activities related to our marketplace, so that the Amazon business as well. I don't know. Does that give you an outline? I'm not sure. It does give me an outline, and, and that sounds great. So, in terms of obviously, you've got quite a large team there, especially the main forefront runners. I think will be your sales and marketing team. So, how did you guys did you guys grow during the pandemic, or you know, did you sadly have to let some people go? That kind of thing. So. Um, tell me, how did the actual pandemic, obviously you're an e-commerce store, so it kind of worked in your favor a bit, but in terms of your team, did you guys actually grow during the past year? Well, you know, realistically, we're not, the, the business until, uh, so when I met you, we become an e-commerce store, a, part, a lot of the business has become an e-commerce store, but yeah. really before that, we weren't an e-commerce store, right? So as I mentioned to you, the, 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 there was a whole component, the, sell, the sales team, whose job was exclusively business to business retail sales, managing that, optimizing that, improving that, right? And what happened during the pandemic is that their roles overnight became redundant. But we were fortunate in the fact that instead of having to, we have a tight-knit team and a good uh, a good team from different backgrounds, and uh, everyone really pivoted their roles in that department. So I can give you two examples of that. Uh, we had one lady who actually only started at the beginning of the pandemic towards the end, beginning of 2020 and towards the end of 2019. And that was the hunter, the business development. And she basically um, went, uh, she pivoted her role during the pandemic into more of a data role. So understanding uh, everything that we needed to build this e-commerce website, this NWA distribute, this NWA beauty website, sorry. 
Mm. Um, the the lady that was working as a trainer, she pivoted her role. She managed to re-educate herself um, into oh. a social media manager. So she's the one that deals with our Instagram today. And uh, she also is maintaining her work as a trainer, um, even with the e-commerce brands, um, because um, the way people train now is obviously changed through Zoom as opposed to in person. So uh, to, to say in, in, in its entirety, people look, we've been fortunate that we haven't had to do that. People have really adapted. And that's what I think is the key it's the key, the, one of the key things that this whole pandemic is that as long as you're able to retrain and re-educate yourself, resources are all there. The internet is the, is the wealth of human knowledge and innovation. Um, so our team has been able to retrain itself really. Um, and now we're in a situation that there's a few people that are doing too many things. So maybe we'll have to get more people out of the pandemic as well. But still we're in the intermediary phase that the business to business is opening up, but still the city of London and the UK is still not as busy as it used to be. Of course. Um, and we've also, uh, we've lost a lot of traction business to business because our international customers um, are not coming into the UK because of these travel restrictions. So we're in the intermediary phase that our team is solid, but we, whether we need to expand in terms of numbers, that will come after the pandemic. That will come after there's more clarity about um, whether Chinese uh high spending Chinese tourists will come back into the UK or the UK will start to expand. Sorry, the, the, the busyness of London as a commerce center, the retail commerce center will pick up. Um, so that's really still to be decided. Um, but for example, I was walking around London today. I was in London Bridge and it's still very, very quiet. And I noted that. Um, so we will see, I guess we will see. Um, but we just have to, it's a very much a period of adaption, right? Uh, we have to figure out as we go of course yeah and, and and to be honest I don't doubt at all that you you know overcome any any barriers and obstacles that the the pandemic even even emerging outside of the pandemic into more of say a day-to-day roles and actually understanding how to, to pivot there and adapt and and just hit the ground running and, and there's little things here and there that I can understand that you know not necessarily everyone has thought about um and especially in the in the beauty space as well so in terms of what units would have been best sellers before or during the pandemic might not necessarily be the case now so i'm guessing before it was more of a focus on skincare and now it will be a lot more makeup brands because you know everyone is going out and about everyone is going to want to look good in camera when everyone's taking those pictures outside um, especially on holiday as well. So I can imagine those are all things that you'd have to do a lot of in-depth data analysis on. And that's why I say maybe your new hires come in or even if some of your existing hires can, can retrain. Uh, and I guess that's what you're currently doing at the moment. These are all just such interesting things to think about, especially I think it's the idea of being really flexible and, and being able to adapt to any new challenge that comes through as well. And um, in terms of, say, like the wider brand in general, like say, so the collaboration, you you named some some good like household brands there. So how do you figure out and how does the process actually work? So how would you figure out which brands you'd want to say stock or reach out to versus, say, the ones that you just thought it's not necessary for you to have, quote unquote, on your shelves? 
It really come not really. You mean shelves is in through our e-commerce store, right? Yeah. Through NWBT. Yeah. yeah. So that really comes. Um, it's really through our network of relationships in the industry in terms of understanding what's demanded in the market, and then also our own work in terms of looking at data, looking at trends, uh, looking at what things people are looking at, and then um, from there we'll leverage our network to be able to get those things on board. It's really a question of. Um, Paying attention to what our audience wants, uh, paying attention to what's what's uh, interesting on the market, yeah. uh, paying attention to what we can leverage in our own supplier network, uh, and the answer is really a combination of all of those. So, at the same time, in the initial phase, we realize that we don't want to be uh, too slow about it. We want to have a good portfolio of brands. So I think at the moment we have about a thousand individual products on the website now. Um, so uh, we wanted to be fast in terms of the uh, initial uh, inventory list that we kept on the website. And the, I think the initial way that we broke it down is we decided what categories we wanted to keep, right? So you'll see those categories on the website if you look at the drop-down menu. So for example, in bath and body, in mother care, in makeup, as you mentioned, in skincare and yeah. anti-aging, and then, looking at the categories, looking at the subcategories within those categories, and then thinking, as I said, what what's what's popping in the market? What can we leverage in our network? And uh, the last one was uh, what 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 uh, what what does the data show? Like is the information are people reaching out to us about are you stocking this specific product? Things like that. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm going to try and go a little bit more in depth. So when you say that it's all about what people want, how do you actually figure that out? So is it at the beginning, just trial and error? Is it looking at saying maybe um, competitor brands? Or do you use specific software to really analyze the market the, and the way that it's running at the moment? Uh, it's not software, if I'm being honest, um, as of yet. Uh, it's really a question of it's a question of like A/B testing, right? So it's just a question of of trial and error. So I can give you an example of that. So we don't have we decided to put a, a category for fragrances, um, but it became very clear very quickly. And the idea was not to expand that category too much. We had fragrances from the brands that we work with, as you know, for example. There's a lot of, La Prairie is a good example, right? La Prairie is an anti-aging skincare line that has a couple of fragrances as part of its general assortment. So the fragrances was quite a small list to begin with. And then we started to get requests from our existing customers that would you stop more of this? Like, do you know where I can buy a more conventional fragrance like a Yves Saint Laurent fragrance or a Giorgio Money fragrance? And we just started adding things on that basis. And then also we have had, um, a lot of things have come through direct requests and then we see what's selling, we see what's going faster and we look for more things in that specific category. So we have um, weekly uh, metric meeting, not weekly, sorry, fortnightly metric meetings where we look at the categories that are selling faster, uh, the categories that are selling slower and then those that are selling faster, then going back to the same thing, seeing what's going stronger in the market, seeing what we can leverage in our supplier network mm -hmm. and then looking what we can add. Yeah, yeah. So it, it really is like there's no shortcuts to it. You have to really do all the groundwork yourself, which is it's quite refreshing to hear. Um, and, and it's really good to hear actually to see like the different methods. And like you said, the A-B testing, whether that be just with the product launches or with, say, the actual marketing in itself. And um, yeah, so we've covered 
all of those things now and and I'm just coming back and circling back to what you mentioned at the beginning and how you've managed to build such a cult-like community so that is I think the secret between brands which do okay and brands which really do excel and it's all about the storytelling aspect it's really about say making sure that you leave some kind of print in you know in people's daily lives as in if I wanted to buy something the first thing that I'd, I'd look at is, is here and it's not necessarily something that you'd have to think too hard about so how have you actually gone about establishing that because it has only been say um, it's not too long ago that you started doing this so over the space of say a few years or even you know a few months in total how did you actually manage to build that reputation up so as a um as a distribution company, first of all, it goes back to which brands we choose, right? So first of all, we have to choose brands and companies from around the world to partner with that we think are um, in an emerging market market segment, um, mm-hmm. that the brand and the and the company and the people in the company have a lot of way to go in terms of building a community, or they already have a strong domestic community, or they have a strong community in other markets. Um, and as we mentioned before, London is an international city. So those customers from those countries will come into this country. We've also done a great deal of, um, with assistance from the brands, we've done a lot of marketing in the UK as well. Um, we tend to focus on marketing. We, we experimented with a lot of different things like PR and things like that, but it was very expensive. And we really decided um, quite conscientiously, sorry, consciously, not conscientiously, <laughs> to focus on um, on our marketing efforts to uh, to the stores, right? So really helping the stores sell the goods as opposed to going into like influencer marketing or things like this. Like we'd pay for events to be held at the stores, um, like uh, press events or um, giving tr- uh, trade promotions to our stores just to help the stores sell. Um, because for us, we have to, we have to manage a lot of uh, relationships. We have to manage the relationship with the store, with the supplier, with the final customer. Um, so our, our methodology there in terms of creating um, creating space for ourselves in the industry is really focusing on making sure our partners do well and making sure they sell. Um, and then at the same time, I have to say that our, our, our logistics and like our, our customer relationship management team has, is really, really good, right? So we've always had excellent relationship with the partners that we that we work with, whether it be the brands and the suppliers and the B2B customers and even the B2C customers. Mm-hmm. And I think um, where we have benefited from there is that we've got quite a personal experience with, we've got a personal relationship with each of our customers. Uh, and I think the, our partners are, our customers, um, both B2B and B2C, they appreciate that because it's what sets us apart from um, larger companies where they don't get that personal um, one-on-one kind of relationship with the people that they buy or they work with. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's that personalization and that bespoke service that they get, which makes them a returning customer. And in terms of, say, for the actual B2C side of things, would you or do you actually work with influencers? And what's your whole take on, say, influencers in the BT space? Um, as I mentioned to you, it's still early in the days for us. So we have um, focused on our existing customer list, right? 
So mm. focusing on the fans that we already have, that we know that we'll buy from the website and really doubling down onto what makes them happy. And for them, it's always been about quality of service, speed of service, um, product assortment, things of that nature. Um, in terms of the wider influencer marketing, B2C digital marketing, all those sort of things, um, we definitely have to look at that more. So we've done all this influencer marketing, we've worked with agencies, we have some um, makeup artists that we've worked with in the past, some celebrity influencers. Do you know Alexander Steiner, like people like this, like well-known uh -huh. editors and yes, journalists I, in the yeah. space? She's, she's very well-known and people, all these editors and like everyone we've, we've, we've had relationship with or work with or sent products to and they've written about us. Um, but for us, you know, we built this B2C business in response to the pandemic, as I said. So our question now is where, um, and this is undecided, is that what is our focus now moving forward? Are we going to be predominantly a B2B business player moving forward? Or are we going to pivot to B2C? Because realistically, those are two different marketing strategies, right? Um, we have at the moment too many types of customers. So we have our distribution customers and we have our business to, business to customer, our final customers, the people that actually yeah. buy and use the products. Yeah. And those are two different marketing strategies. Business to business customers don't care about influencer marketing. They care about it in, the, in, the, in, in a sense that for Harrods to list the product, they want to see the right type of influencers talking about the product. They want to see the right amount of PR coverage, the right amount of editorials. Um, but they make the decision about that as to whether they, they, they use that as data to impact the decision as to whether they want to list a brand, right? Yeah. B2C customers, um, that's for me a little bit, it's not, it's not um, clear to me as of 2021. Influencers obviously make a big, like it's, they obviously have a big um, impact, but I, I think that effect might be dwindling or at least... I think customers are more discerning of what type of influencer is is influencing the purchase, for example, you know? I don't think it's as simple as you pay uh, an Instagram um, page with 100,000 people following it and that will necessarily result in sales, you know? Yeah. And the products that we um, work with are all products that are, they're less based on on size of pay-per-click budget and Google AdWord budget and Facebook budget. And they're more based on just a real strong relationship of quality and integrity with the final customer. So the, the brands that we pick are really brands uh, that our final customer really trusts will work for them. You know, they're efficacious brands. So in terms of influencer marketing, we have done it in the past. But I'm not sure whether it'll be a big part of our, our strategy moving forward if we do uh, decide to really foot double down on our B2B, B2B strengths post this pandemic, if that makes sense. That does make sense, yeah. And then like you said, it all depends on A, your strategy, B, uh, the brand as well. And like you said, if you've already got a strong presence, then the efficacy of it kind of dwindles a bit because it's all about the product in itself. And I think... I think influencer marketing works for, say, completely new brands or brands which need that little bit of push at the beginning. But then it's um, that whole brand reputation that then goes ahead and carries it forward rather than, say, pumping in loads of money into that influencer marketing space and putting that spend in there. 
um, which is it's really interesting to, to kind of discern it because influencers are still doing quite well, even with the whole, you know, getting rid of the, the number of likes on Instagram. Um, it's, it's all about just core engagement as well. You know, just one thing on that, and the one thing on that topic is that yeah. I think for us, right, it's about conversion, right? Like, and, and the conversion are metrics that count, right? So for example, if we pay an influencer to promote one of the products that's in our portfolio, that's great if they get thousands of likes. That's great. That's excellent. But for us, what we care about is our, is the customer buying, right? So uh, so that's the metric that counts more, right? Um, so for us, it's the, the metric is and always has been is that are the customers purchasing the product, whether that be in store, whether that be online, whether that be on a marketplace, that's yeah. the metric that we care about. It's not really about how many Instagram followers, uh, how many likes there are right um so um so yeah that's i guess um that's an evolving position but it really depends on how we emerge from this pandemic and what strategy we're taking on if it's going to be b2c um and time will prove whether that's the case or not yeah um that will be we'll obviously have to look at that in more details right um but again it's very very competitive and the way the google algorithm works or the Facebook algorithm works is that the winner takes all in today's world in, in, in that world. Right. So uh, that's a question to be discussed further down the line when we get a bit more clarity about where we are. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm quite excited uh, to see where it goes. And, and in terms of time, like, you know, plans for expansion, do you have anything that's in the works that you're currently working on that you'd like more people to know about, or is anything that you're setting your focus on, for long-term versus short-term gain yeah absolutely so the we're investing in our team so making sure that the team is is constantly flexible and educated and able to be adaptable to change because as i mentioned you were still going through a period of change in terms of we're focusing on the e-commerce business and we're focusing on maintaining our relationships with our, our partners right so and this period of in uh, this period of time in this period of this um this retail transition that's going on in the world or this societal transition that's going on in the world we're mm -hmm. really making sure that we really stay in touch and really nurture our relationships with all the players in the game for us which are staff our team members our yeah. collaborators um, our suppliers um, and our clients right uh, mm -hmm. because um, everything has changed for us we've gone from being uh, at office on the road working company to kind of remote working um, the retail trends have completely been blown out the window because of COVID. So our biggest investment now is just making sure that we keep our team together and strong and uh, in good spirits and making sure that we're working strongly on this B2C project um, and keeping our customers um, happy and consistent and and very comfortable to to keep stay with us. Um, uh, and and still and waiting for clarity um, once this opens up. So that's that's basically the task now. No, definitely. That sounds like a sounds like a plan. And, and again, it's just reiterating the whole just maintaining those customer relationships and, and that personal feel and aspects, especially since we are in quite a different time, um, which is which is great. And um, yeah, so now like I'd like to switch the questions more over to you personally and your personal experience, you know, running. Uh, a DTC and a and um you know a BTV brand as well. So, is there like a typical day? Is there a typical week 
you as a co-founder or is it does it really is it very cyclical the structure of my day has really changed over the last year i've gone from being someone that was all in the, always in the office at a certain time and always leaving at a certain time and then obviously having to adopt remote work i've understood that that is really a possibility moving forward and many of the team have done so many of the team have also not done so because of uh, realistic because for example logistics and office staff have to be there um, as do i because i'm obviously their manager um, but my situation is slightly more flexible i try and keep a very clear schedule of the way i operate my day um, for discipline reasons and also i think it just keeps things moving smoothly um, i during the pandemic i was really very disciplined with my calendar and mm -hmm. i am so still now but i usually divide my day into uh, the, the the morning is um after like i go to the gym in the morning and then the morning is really creative work or thinking time so that may be um, uh, just working on the business so anything to do with working on the business and then I work, uh, uh, that's the way I like to phrase it. I work on the business in the morning. I do my things for myself in the morning. So I will, I'll read, I'll work out, I'll meditate. I wake up early, like like 5.30. So I get that done before 5 8.30. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a super early riser. I wish I could be like early riser. There's a, there's a trend and, you know, they always say the early bird gets the worm, but I'm, I struggle with that quite a lot. I'm, I'm very much, I might as well rename this the Sleepy Chronicles because I'm always talking about how I'm tired all the time. Um, so I think, again, I might have to take a, a leaf or two out of your book as to how you're managing that. Well, I come from, my dad sleeps like four hours a day. So mm -hmm. I think there's, there's, a, there's a guy who talks about this. There's a famous book that came out okay about why do we sleep by some i can't remember the author's name but he was saying that like there's one percent of the population that need um like less than six hours sleep and my dad for years has slept for like four hours a day so four hours a night sorry so i'm not quite like that i still need my sleep but i just have had this habit of waking up early for quite a long time so yeah uh, so i do those things in the morning to like set myself for the day um i i like work out i practice meditation i do uh, my reading and then i do the work on the business in the morning Mm -hmm. which tends to be kind of uh, more work that I do myself and then in the afternoon it's work with the team so it's working in the business so dealing with uh, the admin of the day the things that have gone wrong in the day the things that need to be sorted out the work with the team basically uh, and then I make sure things are quite well scheduled so I have a calendar I make sure I plan my calendar every week um, sometimes it works perfectly to schedule sometimes it works less perfectly but I think it's a it's an important thing to do you know just for discipline reasons and especially when we're not working from an office because there's always that temptation to go off the schedule then so exactly the way I think. and you mentioned like books more than once as well so do you have any particular ones that you're reading at the moment or they're must reads in your opinion god I, i'm a big reader actually so um um so i can tell you what i'm reading now so i'm reading uh there's a new amazon book so the book about jeff bezos and amazon over the last um 10 years so since the alexa since alexa was founded so yeah. i'm reading that now i read a couple of books on the go so I, let me just open my kindle library to tell you mm -hmm. what else i'm reading so i'm reading that bezos book which is really interesting i like reading that kind of narrative like non-fiction um like biography type uh, type um, stuff. Uh, let me just pull up what I'm reading. I read The Economist and I, I keep up to the affairs of the day as well. That's yeah. something that I've got a lot better with in the last, um, uh, since the pandemic started. 
and that's benefited me actually. Uh, so I'm reading the um, I'm reading the Bezos book. It's called Amazon Abound. The last book that I read before that was it was a uh, book about meditation uh, by this author called John Kabat-Zinn. He's a he's basically a Buddhist, and he talks about uh, approach uh, to life. I've read so. this uh, Phil Jackson book. So Phil Jackson was the coach of the Chicago Bulls. Um, which coached Michael Jordan very famously to six championships. That was, I read that last month as well. I read all sorts of things, but the book that I'm reading right now that's probably quite applicable to what I do, uh, aspirationally, of course, um, is um, is the Bezos book. So it's called Amazon Abound by Brad Stone. It's well worth it. I'm about, the Kindle says I'm 32% way through. Mm-hmm. So I would highly recommend that. Wow. Okay. I might have to actually do that. And in terms of the Kindle as well. I've tried my hand at it, but I find that nothing's quite as satisfying as actually a paperback or a hardback cover. And just because I'm someone who likes to flip through my pages and reread a lot of stuff. Um, and just doing that on the Kindle, like it's good, but it's not, it's never the same. I think you save a lot of, you save a lot of space, I think, with Kindles and obviously they're, they're more environmentally friendly as well. You know, I, so I, I used to always think the same thing. Um, and you know, uh, in the last, I think, well, actually for quite some time in the last five years, I realized the benefit for Kindle for me, because it's so easy to make notes on a Kindle, like not maybe written notes, but it's so easy to save paragraphs or save, um, excerpts and things like this. And then what I used to do, I haven't done it recently is that from the Kindle app, you can save notes into like an Evernote file. And it keeps it really easily accessible. Um, and another great thing, I don't know if you've seen this, but I don't know if you listen to aud- aud- audiobooks uh, or you've tried that before, but you can get, um, as part of your Kindle purchase, you will get sometimes or very often the aud- audio uh, at the same time. So, and, and there's an app that basically syncs up the audio and the Kindle version. So mm-hmm. you can listen to, for example, 30 minutes and then you can read and uh, read on the Kindle app as well. So, and it, everything will sync up perfectly. So it keeps it open, but I'm, I always carry my Kindle with me, even though I can obviously read on my phone, but that <laughs> thing is, uh, is quite invaluable to me. I like reading as well. I think it's a really efficient and fast way to consume information faster than audio, or like listening yeah. to YouTube videos or, or listening to podcasts as well. So I agree. I agree. Unless everything is done on 1.7 speed, then yeah, reading is my, is my uh, preferred version of choice anyway. Um, but yeah, I think I think those are all of our questions for today. And thank you so much for joining us. And we really did get uh, a lot more of an insight into uh, your business as a whole and, and, and NWA as well. So if people want to actually find out a bit more about you or the, uh, the, the brand in general, where can they find that? Uh, so for myself, I actually write a blog uh, that I'm going to be doing more consistently now. It's mm-hmm. called My Nifty Thoughts. Um, that's for myself personally. Um, so I write about business, about the things I'm interested in, investment things, um, balance sheet things. I, my, my company websites are www.swissell.co.uk. So that's the distribution site, the B2B customer site that I mentioned to you before that yeah. shows all our distribution brands and who we sell to. And then our e-commerce site is www.nw8beauty.co.uk. Uh, NW8, so the letters and then the, the number, nw8beauty.co.uk. Uh, awesome. I'll make sure to actually put those down in the description bar below as well. But yeah, thank you so much again, Dinal. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of those and, and hearing a little bit more about your blog post as well, because that's something that I haven't heard about. So I definitely have to be doing my research on that. <laughs> thank you. You too.